on the podcast today, we have Dr. Afia and Billy Shaka. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Afia. Thanks for having me. Yeah, stoked to have you on. Uh, before we get started, I just want to acknowledge I'm producing this podcast on the traditional territories of the Pomox, Homoko, Kalehus, and Kla'aman First Nations, who were one post Salish community before we white settlers came and separated them into reserves. Grateful to be able to do work and play on these unceded lands and learn and grow um, uh, from uh, these wonderful people. Dr. Fee is a clinical psychologist and hairstylist, which that alone is super cool. Uh, but uh, but you've also taken it to a whole, a whole other level. So maybe before to just to start off, you maybe tell us a little bit about yourself in terms of kind of a kind of how you got into the psychology field, but also um, um, uh, you know when you became a hairstylist, all that stuff. How, how did it all start? Okay, well, I definitely did not want to be a psychologist. It happened to me. Um, I wanted to be a dentist. <laughs> and so when I went to college and I took all these math and science classes my first semester in college, I hated them all to mm. the point where I didn't want to be a dentist anymore and let my roommate choose all of my classes for the next semester. Mm. And so she enrolled me in Introduction to Psychology, and I loved it. The class was about 500 students and yeah. the professor, Dr. Chate, I still remember his name, um, was from Australia. He was hilarious. Mm. He had a wireless mic and just basically used the time to try out stand-up material. Uh -huh. He was so funny, cursed a bunch and just kept my attention. Um, and I saw how relevant psychology was to everything. So considering psychology is the scientific study of behavior and mental processes. That's basically it all, feelings, thoughts, behaviors. And so um, I was super intrigued. Mm -hmm. What led me to lean into the field of psychology a bit more was the absence of people who looked and sounded like me. Mm -hmm. So um, anytime African-American people were brought up in a class for psychology, it was oftentimes related to a deficit. Um, yep. maybe saying something about IQ or high rates of schizophrenia. And so I recognized that I never had a Black psychology professor mm. or um, didn't know about how psychology looked and worked in my community. And so decided to then go to Howard University, which is a historically Black university, to study Black mental health. So mm. that that was my entry point to dive a bit deeper to understand psychology, race, and culture, and healing. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, and yeah. Then, that, oh, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, just uh, so, something something that uh, that uh, the, the that clicked there um, around sort of the experience with sort of uh, you know, your experiences with intro psych class and learning about Black folks reminds me of that when I had Dr. Augustine and, and uh uh, the article I did, which I think you you touch on a little bit in one of in in one of your many awesome <laughs> Instagram videos around sort of the history of Black psychology and kind of how how uh, how uh, basically all the research in the early days for psychology and I, I want to say early days, but really it continued. Um, um, all the research on the problems with people were done on the Black folks and the Indigenous folks. And all the research on how to solve the problems were done on the white folks. And it just, it, it's it's such an interesting sort of pattern there. And it just kind of continues and continues to today. Um, so I, that, that just that kind of rang true when you said that. So I can totally see how uh, 
wanting to get a different perspective was really important for you. Yes, yes, I needed that. Um, and considering my love for hair, <laughs> that mm. also fueled my study for psychology. I always mm. did, did hair. I was considered my family's hairstylist. So mm. at um, family gatherings, I oftentimes would have a chair set up and I would do my mm. relative hair um, mm. during those family gatherings. And so that translated to my college dorm room as well, where wow. I had sort of these mini pop-up hair salons to mm. help people prepare for their dates or the big dance, or even mm. a lot of the athletes that had braid their hair and styles. Yep. It, was, it was the time of Allen Iverson. So putting that, yeah, that yeah, 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 gotcha. line, the braids <laughs> were very cool and trendy. And I think people came to my room because I didn't charge. It, it was not a business model. I just enjoyed the process of hair care. And so considering mm. my interest in psychology, um, I was a bit conflicted about what I wanted to do with my future. And I remember talking to my aunt on the phone one day and telling her I didn't know if I wanted to pursue a career in psychology or in hair care. And she said, mm. well, why can't you do both? Wow. And it was in that moment that I thought these do not need to be separate experiences or careers, but they actually can marry each other really well in terms mm. of using hair as an entry point into mental health care. And so that was my connection that I, again, loved hair. And so it wasn't until after I got a PhD in clinical psychology mm. and started my own private practice for therapy and became a professor and opened mm. a research lab that I then went to hair school. So I entered the hair care world as a licensed psychologist mm. and experienced it in that way in terms of running from lecture halls to the shampoo bowl um, mm. and having those, those options and being a little bit confused initially when people would ask for an appointment and I wasn't sure if it was a therapy appointment or <laughs> hair appointment and so really had to do some clarification there yeah 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 okay that's okay I was gonna ask so so you were you're just a sort of amateur hairstylist for for a lot of years and 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 yeah. and, and, and it wasn't until you got your pitch were were the folks at hairstyling school kind of wondering what uh, Doctor Doctor Afia was doing in in hairstyling school, and what was that all about? Well, I I, I didn't talk about it much. I, mm. I I I recognize that when I identified my degree or mm. uh, work experience, then people wanted to unload all the things mm. that they were navigating. Mm. Or even some people were a little mistrustful in terms of, are you analyzing me right now? Mm. So I'm very mindful of how I disclose um, or how I did disclose, but they, yeah. most people seemed excited and curious um, about what I was doing there. So it, mm. it was helpful to build community yeah. outside of the discipline of psychology. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, and we're going to get into this more and I, I, I get how sort of you know, the barbershop or the salon is definitely a place where, you know, folks tend to open up. I have a buddy who's a barber back East and he tells me lots of stories about just the interesting people he meets and, and how he sometimes is put into sort of the, that role of sort of therapist somehow and, and, uh, and, and so on. So I kind of get that. I'm curious in your hairstyling training, did any of that ever come up? Because that, that is a common thing. Yeah, I, I felt like it came up the most during conversations about customer service, um, the consultation phase in terms of the questions that you even ask a client in starting their service to ask them right. what they're coming in for, right? Um, what happens sometimes, unfortunately, is that there can be some client 
uh, dissatisfaction, but it also, it often comes from not having clear understanding in the beginning of what the mm-hmm. client wanted. So the questions that come up during that initial consultation or conversation, maybe they're showing a picture, um, I felt like was the most psychological uh, in terms of being curious with someone about why they want a certain look, um, what profession they're in to think about, is this too risky for that mm-hmm. profession? Or, yeah, yeah. Um, so it was it was a lot of information gathering um, to start any uh, hair care session. So I did feel like it came up there. Yeah, yeah. And, and was this hairstyling school... Um, uh, like was it like like a black run school and a sort of black hair focused kind of school? Yes. So I particularly chose and you know searched lots of schools and selected a school that I felt most aligned with my understanding of hair care, which is natural hair. So the training that I went through did not include doing any chemical hair straining practices or mm. burning of the hair to um you know lose its curl. So the styles that I tend to do for Black clients are enhancing what they already have. So um, pulling out more of a defined curl or creating braids or locking the hair um, or making bantu knots or different styles with what's already there versus changing the the texture of the hair. Mm -hmm. And so, so, well, let's get right into it. So, through this, you know, you you went to school, and then you kind of, um, how did you then develop this psychotherapy sort of area? Okay, so and it's funny because I, I had that conversation in my college dorm room with my aunt, where I decided that this would be the focus of my career. But it took mm. a long time mm. um, to finally arrive to that point because no one understood what I was talking about in the yeah. field of psychology. People outside of psychology, yeah, I tell my stylist and Barbara everything, yeah. but because there wasn't very clear precedent before that, I ultimately had to create um, a research lab. And I went to hair salons and barbershops to collect psychological information. So having students Mm. at the time collect surveys on depression and anxiety while people were getting their hair done. If you're planning on collecting continuing education credits for this episode, you'll need to enter the three secret words at www.cbiconsultants.com forward slash shop. The first secret word is hair. And then I use that information to, you know, analyze and write up articles and publish at conferences, um, publish my research and speak at conferences. And so um, I use that information then to create a curriculum to see how I could take my years of psychology training and mix it with my um, hair care training to create ultimately this 12 hour curriculum where I train barbers and hairstylists in mental health first aid. And so um, this has been happening for a few years now and um, where people have some of the skill sets around uh, assessing for harm or um, being able to recognize the signs and symptoms of mental illness, Mm. how to refer to various resources. And so I guess I could say it's research informed Mm. Um, in terms of the work that I do, but it, it definitely took over a decade um, to really refine what psychotherapy is. 
Yeah, yeah. Are you, are you still running this lab? No, I, I've taken a pause from mm. doing research, even though I'm still writing. That's the thing. Mm. I haven't. <laughs> Um, so I definitely was a part of the great resignation yes. of 2021, where I left the university that I was teaching at. Um, mm. I felt a bit limited. And so I do identify as an independent scholar now. Mm. But without you know the physical institution <laughs> and the resources, I haven't been doing as much um, research. But my, my research lab was founded in 2014 and um ended in 2021 okay i got you got you all right so i mean i think mental health first aid is really important i think for anyone um uh it's something that i've been sort of dabbling with just because uh, when i'm not doing this kind of stuff i i I volunteer as a first responder um as a firefighter and uh you know and uh, you know we often come to scenes where um, it's 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 sort of a, a mental health issue and and you know uh, the paramedics keep telling us you know we have to stay out of that we have to wait you know that that's a police matter and of course we all know what that um, you know, we all know what kind of training the police have in mental health um, um and 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 usually doesn't lead to sort of good things and so i really want to kind of do more of that 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 first aid training i think that's important for anyone um what why what 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 sort of Like why why do why why do hairstyles need mental health first aid? Okay, they they have very intimate relationships with their clients. Mm. Um, and the research that that I found that uh, black women in particular are more likely to get their hair done than to see a psychologist. Mm. And, um, even thinking about those rates that when someone is getting their hair done, particularly with natural hair or getting braids, the service lasts from anywhere from two hours to even eight hours. Oh, where wow. There's one on one time. There's lots of stories being told. There's conversation um, and to have the skill set to navigate that. But mm. also um, there's this concept in public health of being lay health advisors. So Stylists mm. are considered trusted uh, members of our communities that mm-hmm. are knowledgeable, especially around health and even mental health. And so the conversations are happening already. And so I saw it as my position then to make sure people felt comfortable and trained to talk about the topics that were already coming up, but from the perspective of a mental health professional. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Maybe just uh, just some 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 background from my understanding, because hair hair and 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 sort of the hair salon and barber experience, uh, you know, for me, I think is is quite a bit different than it is for Black folks. Um, so, what is it about hair? And, and this is a very broad question, and feel free to kind of take it any direction you want, because I don't really know what the right questions to ask are here, because I don't know anything about this. But what 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 is it about hair in, in in the black community that makes it such an important sort of topic and sort of a you know a center of tradition and 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 I know there I know there's some history there's some history there you've got a great article on 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 uh, called Grandma's Hands Memories of Hairstyle Interaction with African American Grandmothers that provides some cool history and stuff but 
Can you just get a, give me an idea of what this is all about? Okay. Well, I definitely do identify myself as a hair historian, mm. a self-taught hair historian. Awesome. But hair, when we study traditional African societies, is so embedded into healing rituals. Mm. So a ritual is how you prepare your mind, body, and spirit to receive a blessing. Mm. And so I noticed from just reading African history from birth to death, hair was a part of significant rituals in one's mm. life. So, for example, for the Maasai or for the, um, of Kenya and Tanzania to the Yoruba of Nigeria, they oftentimes do a baby naming ceremony where within seven to 10 days of a child being born, they will give them this special name. But with that, they will shave that baby's head completely bald. Hmm. Um, they do this shaving as an offering to the spiritual realm that this child was uh, allowed to arrive to the family safely and hair seen as so special and sacred that they want to give this offering of a part of the, the child wow. yeah. to, to the ancestors, to the unseen. And so from that even birth, having that that ritual to um, rites of passage programs where people are, once they've finished learning about adulthood, will be allowed to wear certain hairstyles as a way to communicate that this person is ready for adulthood or mm. even to be initiated into the warrior class. Um, right, for example, yes. You get to wear locks and this is part of the journey. And once you finish fighting, you can cut the locks off. So weddings, all of these different things, um, brides wearing certain styles or having to shave their hair and rebirthing process, all of that. Mm. So I think in a lot of traditional African societies, hair is quite spiritual. Um, hair is the highest point on our entire bodies and therefore mm. the most connected to the divine. To some mm. degree, our hair right. is considered like an antenna. It can pick up on other people's energy. And even thinking about First Nations, for example, there's been tons of research that um that that hair length is connected to spirituality and yep. connection to the environment so that when the lands were colonized and people's hair was cut, they actually lost some of their hunting skills or cultivation mm. um, of the land skills because hair was this way that they could notice like changes in their environment, right? Our hair mm. is actually part of our nervous system, an yes. extension of our system to some degree. And so to notice how um, the stimulation from our environment can get in through the, the stimulation of our hair. So it's it's a lot of information out there when we study yeah. history, how hair is used for healing and used for ritual. Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Sort of the, the even from sort of that sort of biological perspective, it's just sort of think of like cats and whiskers. You know, yes. the whiskers are, you know, the main sort of sensory organ and, uh, you know, they're essentially hair. Um, and so that, that makes a lot of sense. And then the uh, the uh, I also remember reading, you know, about um, something about in history. I think it was I think it was during slavery uh, that. That that hair might have been used in a way as a way of communicating um messages and whatnot and 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 that and and correct me if I'm wrong was something around the cornrows being being like actual sort of maps per se to maybe for escaping or may or for or for whatever is that 
You're right. You're on it. You 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 are reading the work. Um, yes, that that there were so many different ways to um find freedom. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways was to braid maps into the hair so that it was a topographical map ultimately of where free spaces were. So being able to touch the head at night or if running by themselves so they could actually physically feel the map. And if they ever got caught uh, taking out the hairstyle so that it was a way to protect people who already got free by destroying the map. So it was a very sophisticated system um, to communicate messages through the hair. Got this history. And then similarly, I, you know, I think, you know, I'm learning more about sort of this kind of connection between, you know, kind of hair, hair and racism um, in the sense of sort of, you know, I've learned a lot about kind of colorism and sort of, you know, and, and kind of internalized racism, you know, and and sort of this this striving for, you know, uh, whiteness, um, you know, that that some folks have, you know, just and it's, you know, and it, it's ingrained, you know, intergenerationally, and it's you know, it's based on a whole bunch of different things, um, that you know, that are that are obviously problematic, but it's also based on society because society favors the white. We live in a white supremacist society, you know, <clears throat> capitalism and everything associated with it is all is all white stuff, um, and uh, and so you know, if you want to make it in this world, um, you know, the whiter you are, the 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 more opportunities you have, um. And that, and so we hear about sort of you know examples of folks actually trying to sort of you know overtly change that whether it was you know through medication you know I think uh, I think one of the the more famous examples was Michael Jackson and and sort of you know some of the stuff he was doing to apparently sort of you know lighten the skin and whatnot and and there's been lots of sort of other versions of that and we've and we've heard about I've heard little bits about hair but I had no idea that it was you know, it was much of the same story around hair and, and, uh, you know, with hair, obviously it's not a, it's not a color thing. You know, there's lots of white folks with black hair. So it's more about the style of the hair and kind of straightening hair. And you, you mentioned in the beginning that your, 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 your area is kind of natural hair. So dealing with the way it comes versus kind of trying to sort of chemically straighten it and so on and so forth. And, and that straightening hair is sort of that sort of, approach towards whiteness uh, because straighter hair is is you know uh, you know is whiter hair you know and so yeah let me talk talk a little bit about sort of you've got some a couple really cool papers on on this area and there's some other good work on it around hair discrimination and kind of hair bias what's all about and kind of how, how does that play out Yes, yes. Um, again, I'm impressed by your conceptualization of um, understanding how ideas of white supremacy impact the aesthetic of Black people. Mm-hmm. Um, hair is a physical representation or phenotypic representation of race, right? We have skin yeah. color, yeah. facial features, and hair texture. Yeah. And the thing about hair, it's the most easily manipulated part of our racial phenotype, right? Yeah. We, although you brought up Michael Jackson, most people don't change their skin color, right? right. That, that's a harder thing to do. It, it, you can't change it from day to day. Yeah. Or you can't change your facial features on a daily basis. However, because of the nature of hair, you can change your hair on a daily basis if you wanted to. Sure. Um, and so manipulating the hair to make it go from um, 
its natural authentic state to a straight um, uh, appearance and texture is oftentimes conforming to Western or Eurocentric ideals of beauty because to be beautiful oftentimes is associated with long, straight, maybe even blonde hair. I know that that narrative is shifting over the past few years for Mm -hmm. sure. But in terms of what some of those core standards have been for centuries, that this was considered a beauty ideal. And so um, people spend a lot of money to manipulate their hair um, because there's real consequence when you do not, um, there's a lot of consequence when you do not conform to Eurocentric standards mm-hmm. of beauty. So, uh, for example, there are people who aren't allowed to work at certain jobs or aren't allowed to attend or graduate from certain schools or even have access to housing opportunities, all based on their hairstyle. Mm-hmm. And so there's been cases that have shown up on social media um, where children are not allowed to even enter the school building because they have braids in their hair yes. or um, things like that. Or even a, a big case, Andrew in New Jersey in um, yes. 2019 wasn't allowed to participate in a wrestling match because he had locks. And um, they said that it gave him an unfair advantage in fighting. And so the refs actually took scissors to his hair in that moment to cut it off. Um, he still won the wrestling match after they cut his hair, but you know that this um, public weaponization uh, mm. of uh, textured hair in that way, and so that led to um, the Crown Act in the U.S. So the Crown Act stands for creating a respectful and open world for natural hair. So again, creating mm. a respectful and open world for natural hair. And so the Crown Act is supposed to be an anti-discrimination bill because although the Civil Rights Act of 1964 in the United States was created to prevent um, race-based discrimination, there was Mm. a loophole that didn't reference hair Mm. as part of race. Um, And so in 2019, with the creation and um, passing of the Crown Act first in uh, California, that this was supposed to be um, a way to uh, correct policy, mm. whether mm. in jobs or school um, dress codes that tried to say only straight hair or a certain length or style was acceptable. Um, but most people um, that I interviewed in my research uh, data set said that they had hair discrimination experiences. Mm. Um, both within Black communities and outside of Black communities mm. in terms of um, for people who identified as Black, that they experienced it from other Black people mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. who are not Black. And so to think about how some of that internalized racism has played out in terms of um, policing hair texture and policing hairstyles. But I also noted in, the, in that article, you talk about California, um, but then most other states haven't passed this act. And so in most other states, it's still legal to discriminate. Yeah. So so we're the numbers have definitely increased over the past four years since it first came out. Um, I think it's up to 23 states oh, good. that have passed it. So yes. even after the past few weeks. However, the others have said no. Um, <laughs> and it's still uh, a point of tension. And so it has 
passed in um, the U.S. House of Representatives, but not in the Senate. Mm-hmm. And so just to even think about um, the the pushback that still exists yep. to say, oh, no, we still want to discriminate based on hair. So <laughs> that that is it's an ongoing battle. And so I've had the honor to testify in various um meetings for state legislators to explain the psychological significance of hair and hair discrimination within Black communities. So I never imagined that I would um, be called uh, in as a subject matter expert uh, for this very specific thing, but um, it definitely expanded my training as a psychologist to be able to impact policy and law. Yeah, that's awesome. Going back sort of sort of biology and genetics and that sort of thing. Um, and I know you're a psychologist, but you might know some of this history. I mean, we know, I think we know a bit about sort of, and 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 I think, and I know I'm, this is very surface and there's a lot more to it, but we know that sort of historically sort of evolutionary wise, you know, dark, dark I think darker skin was connected to sort of, you know, warmer, hotter, sun climates you know just essentially protect them from dying um you know and 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 that's why again in the north we see a lot more kind of whiter skin because of the cold and sort of sort of you know uh, that sort of piece is is there uh, are there sort of genetic or sort of you know um, survival of the fittest isn't the right term but sort of you know evolutionary bits around kind of why the Black hair is often as curly as it is and sort of shaped that way? Great question. Yeah. I'm thinking about, you know, our our African ancestors that had every genetic representation from, you know, um, darker to lighter complexions and coiled hair to straight hair. Even on the African continent, we see every skin color and every hair texture today. And so in for people in equatorial regions, yeah. uh, hair was a way to ventilate <laughs> the head and scalp. So to yes. think about our, our um, hair was then used as an air conditioner to the brain to make sure that it wasn't too hot. And so the coils mm. of the hair were a way to make sure the head did not overheat. So mm. that tight coil, so that um, sweat and uh, heat could be regulated versus in more Nordic climates and colder climates that uh, away from the equator that hair needed to be straight because it needed to warm the back of the neck. It needed to yes. keep the brain warm so that yep. hair needed to grow long and protect the spinal cord and all these different um, things that needed protection. So hair was used as a heating system. Mm-hmm. So again, just comparing the purpose of hair um, is to regulate the body temperature, is to, mm. you know, is for protection. And so thinking about how climate then can shape um, curls versus straight hair. So that mm. I have I have seen that in there in terms of um, just the uh, genetic benefits <laughs> of different hair textures, mm-hmm. depending on the world. Yeah, yeah, really interesting. Here's a little bit about sort of, uh, I think, the the bias and discrimination by non-black folks is you know is pretty clear i mean what's going on there i mean there this that, that's it's that supremacist stuff it's the bias stuff it's i mean i think we're learning a lot more about sort of you know why folks that look like me uh 
want everyone else to look like me. Um, um, but I think we as sort of, you know, white folks know less about sort of the internalized racism. And I, and I also know that, I also understand that sort of even talking about internalized racism is dangerous for black folks because, you know, it sort of shifts the, you know, it sort of takes away, it, 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 basically, it basically creates an argument. It's not a valid argument, but it creates an argument for white folks to say they're not racist because you guys are doing it too. Um, um, and so, so this has nothing to do with white on black, but black folks do it too. So, um, you know, and, and, and sort of make that connection, not realizing that it's because of the systems that the white folks created that the black folks do this. Like there's a whole, that, it's that intergenerational <laughs> stuff, which I think is intergenerational stuff is just hard for folks to grasp um, in general. You know, it's hard to sort of, you know, just, you know, the, the, the classic sort of, you know, think about sort of the reparations sort of argument and the idea that I should pay for, the things that my ancestors did when I when I had nothing to do with it, you know that mm -hmm. sort of thing. There's no responsibility generationally. It's sort of that white kind of perspective, right? Um, I'm curious about about the sort of internal bit uh, because I read a little bit about it in one of your articles about and 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 forgive me, I, I'm 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 a skimmer, not a reader. Um, but, <laughs> Just but, read the but, abstracts. Read the abstracts. Yeah, abstracts and the discussions <laughs> and the conclusions is where I go sometimes. But I, I have learned that there are some good stuff in the middle too. Uh, but um, um, looking at um, kind of the the. Well, just be, thinking about your point about the salon and, and sort of how much time it takes to 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 uh, you know style i think probably more so women's hair than men's hair although i know there are def definitely i've seen from a lot of the amazing black men that i've met in recent time they've got some amazing hair too that clearly took more than 10 minutes to style as well um um but that just the fact that it could take eight hours to sell someone's hair um i can see how sort of in 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 a family setting it might be difficult for a mother or 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 whatever to prioritize you know hairstyling you know among you know you know bringing food to the table and, and really among thinking about sort of again going back to sort of systemic racism all the other sort of disadvantages that black families have growing up you know do they have the time to sort of dedicate to do that i mean i think your family was blessed to have you in the family as someone that was able to kind of who was pumped and able to kind of do those things for folks um uh but I, I read about sort of how you know some mothers grandmothers whatnot just you know just 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 couldn't do that you know um and so the second secret word is health i'm curious about sort of a bit of that history and a bit of kind of how you know How, how, just a, a bit of that story. Yeah. Well, it, it's interesting because it, it kind of goes back to that ritual conversation um, that oftentimes um, an invitation to do someone's hair was an invitation to have a loving relationship mm. because of the hours and hours it takes to groom and take care of someone else. Um, but it's interesting because in uh, U.S. history related to slavery, um, we actually weren't permitted the time to properly groom ourselves, that we didn't have the proper hair products or combs that we had. 
on the African continent. And even part of that process of dehumanization was our hair was called wool or fur. And depending on the leniency of the plantation, um, people weren't actually allowed to even groom themselves because they were supposed to be engaged in labor um, all the time. So on some plantations, Sundays became the only day of the week that Black people were even allowed to wash and groom their hair. And otherwise, it had to be underneath a hat or a scarf. Mm -hmm. There were even laws in the United States in the 17 and 1800s where it was illegal for Black people to show their hair in public spaces. Mm -hmm. This was called the Tignan Laws. Um, And so just because the hair was seen as so unruly or undesirable, or people simply did not have the time um, permitted to care for themselves in this way. So there's a really good book that I like called 400 Years Without a Comb Mm. by Willie Morrow. And in this book, 400 Years Without a Comb by Willie Morrow, he documents how um, enslaved African people in the United States um, started to lose connections with their hair care rituals, and it reflected them losing a connection to their African culture. Mm. So that there was this ju- direct parallel in an intentional way, right? Because when we look at art books or um, even the walls from ancient Egypt, we see the most ornate, beautiful hairstyles mm. that ever existed on the planet. And so to restrict the time through, you know, um, chattel slavery had long-term impact. So even then today, yes, hair is going to be a point of tension even within families. Um, Oftentimes there is a thought that if a child's hair is not done, that their parents don't truly love them because they didn't spend the time or the money to have it done. And so it becomes a question of attachment even Um, between parent and child. So I do have a few published articles on um, relationships between grandmothers doing hair or um, mother-daughter relationships and even father-son. So I have um, an article published um, on uh, paternal rituals and haircuts in African-American families, that these are things that Mm. bond people and create emotional bonds, but there's oftentimes not eight hours in one day to be able to create those styles um, that our ancestors wore. But um, yeah, this is the, the role of then stylists and beauticians mm. and barbers um, mm-hmm. taking, taking up the reins to be able to do the grooming process that maybe traditionally families would would do. Mm-hmm. It's a nice segue because I, I, I would like to talk a little bit about men because I think you know, this, 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 is a, this is not just about women's hair and, and, and there, there's a whole men's experience and there's a whole... You know, there's a whole similar to the sort of the, the beauty shop. There's a whole barber shop, you know, experience. Um, you know, and and you know, I think we there's 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 a few movies out there where you know there's sort of the classic movies out there where the white guy walks into the the black barber shop and everyone just sort of pauses and looks at him and wonders what he's doing there, and and, uh, and then he sits down and and it just becomes a, an awkward moment. Um, uh, because it seems to be a you know a space of uh, you know it's, it's sort of a psychologically safe space you know um, for folks and 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 I know I know in in, in a in a sort of in a world of 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 you know white power finding safe spaces for black folks is is hard um, uh, um, you know that it's either going to be sort of you know 
um, the proverbial uh, cookout uh, barbecue at home or or it's going to be sort of you know uh, these other settings and otherwise you know you're you, you know you're you're often not going to see you know black folks for who they are you know outside of these contexts and that's when we get into you know things like code switching and masking and all that kind of stuff because it's just safe to be yourself in kind of into these contexts um there was this art. You had a couple articles again with uh, the, the one you wrote with with Dr. August. Um, um, just just came out this year, um, um, uh, and and another one um, uh, that you wrote with some other folks around kind of barbershop hair stories and racial socialization and kind of all all, all that area. Really fascinating stuff. Um, there's one one thing you talk about though is that I'm, I'm curious about is this idea of good hair. Um, and sort of the, the these good hair comments um, that kind of negatively affect black men and women. And we could talk, just talk a little bit about what that's about. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because good hair or good hair day means different things in um, black communities versus other communities. Yeah. Like because good and bad hair doesn't refer to um, a singular event; it refers mm. to texture. Mm. Um, and so when someone has bad hair, again, it's not limited to the day. (laughs) So bad hair is considered tightly coiled hair, um, versus good hair is categorized as hair that's shinier or smoother in appearance. Mm. And so because of, uh, racial hierarchies that Mm. have impact, you know, that impact concepts of self-worth. Um, we see that there's almost a hair caste system mm. that is a ranking that could have emerged on plantations in the United States where yes. people with um, long or straight hair were given tasks within the home, domestic tasks that weren't um, as um, physically strenuous versus people who had tightly coiled hair and darker skin oftentimes were um, assigned tasks of manual labor and Mm -hmm. in the sun and heat. And, um, that was extremely, uh, physically draining. And so with that concept, um, there was an application then when slavery ended where people who had longer and straighter hair were usually put into more leadership positions versus people who had tightly coiled hair were, uh, service providers. Mm. Um, but it still plays out even today, even if we look at um, the United States vice president. So someone who's mm. lighter and long, yeah. straight hair, um, that has the highest position of a woman mm-hmm. in the government, um, even having to comply to sort of these westernized standards of how hair should look. So yeah, Kamala mm. Harris would be considered someone who has good hair mm. um, and meets... <laughs> Has she ever talked about that or? So, yes, I, I think I saw her have one interview by Kiki Palmer mm. uh, where she disclosed her hair care routine. Mm. And so she says her hair is not chemically straightened, that it is mm. natural, but she um, has her hair blow dried straight um, a few days a week. Mm. And so she disclosed that, that that that's not her natural texture that it's it's pulled and straightened to be that gotcha. and i want to touch on that a little bit and then I, I do want to finish off with you know i think some more kind of positive notes around um uh, you know the 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 black and blue beauty event you had and some other stuff that's going on but 
is just kind of we keep talking about these about straightening and the hair straightening and um obviously that in and of itself is you know is a you know is a is kind of this measure of beauty towards that sort of white standard um but the other piece that i didn't kind of realize is kind of what 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 actually is involved in chemical hair straightening like what what you're actually doing to the person physically um uh and that and that and, and i'm just and just read sort of one sentence here that sort of dan- the, the, these the products themselves are dangerous that so they can actually cause burning and scarring hair loss you know to more extreme events you know alopecia which uh you know which is sort of that for folks that know is basically that condition where basically all all, all all or most of your hair falls out um and, you know not just your on your hair but your eyebrows your eyelashes everything um um to to like adverse effects in pregnant mothers or their infants i wouldn't be surprised if 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 someone were to put the money into it there's probably some cancer connections as well um to to the research and so you know this sort of societal expectation that these folks look like white folks you know that's there's that bit of racism but then there's the actual we're actually hurting and killing black folks by straightening their hair by forcing this and there was something i read in one of your articles about and i don't know if it was something you wrote or someone else wrote in, in a interview but it was something about sort of the idea of that over and over again and i don't know if it was just i don't know if it was just about hair straightening it was just kept hair products in general that it, it was that dangerous hair products were being sort of marketed and sold and and delivered to the black hair salons and the white hair salons would get the safer stuff um yeah that that's a recent harvard study where they they um explored different parts of boston specifically mm. and noticed that there was a pattern that there were more toxic chemicals in the hair products sold yeah. in black and brown communities in comparison to white communities. So just even the marketing and the pushing of drugs, literally, um, in this this form, because there, there's something that I've been thinking a lot about over the past few years, that um, anything that you put on your skin or on your hair, you should essentially be able to eat. Mm-hmm. I, I get pushed back from some cosmetologists with that in terms of the benefits of certain chemicals. But when we think about what the body can break down and process, it's understood that when we apply something topically, that it can actually get into our bloodstream faster than if we were to ingest it through our mouth sure. and it goes through yeah. the digestive system. And so recognizing that um, things that we apply to our hair and to our scalp can actually impact our skull, our brain. I know I saw in some medical journals that um, morticians were seeing for black bodies more um, chemicals on the on the skull, specifically a green slime wow. that was coming from years of toxic chemicals being applied to the hair and the scalp. Um, there's research coming out that there are certain hormones that um, or hormone disruptors in the product. So, for example, in a medical journal, I read years ago, I don't yeah, have the full yeah, citation yeah, yeah. That, that they studied um, Black girls between the ages of two and eight years old and saw that when they applied hair products that had placenta-containing materials, I guess there's placenta-containing materials. Mm. Wow. 
hair products that these girls from two to eight years old began developing breasts and pubic hair from the hair products that were being used. Or even there's tons of research that have come that has come out in the past two years about the relationship between chemical hair straightening products and fibroid tumors. Mm. Um, so there are a lot of lawsuits that have actually taken place in the past year that people who had been using chemical relaxers now have uterine cancer. And so you might not think that there's a relationship between our hair products and our reproductive system, but clearly. Mm-hmm. Case after case, um, that there's a direct correlation between those hair products and the physical health of the body. So yeah, the, it's well documented. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I do definitely want to promote to anyone listening to be very mindful of what they're applying to their hair and to their skin. Um, ideally, you should be able to read um, and not have challenges in, in terms of it should be essential oils it could be you know butters and um coconut oils and things Mm. like that that can be applied and the only thing that can moisturize hair anyone's hair is water Mm. right whether that's a key element to a hair product and the oils are just um things that keep the water in the hair right you know oil and water don't mix so to think about that to keep to keep the the water in Mm. the hair follicle so Um, I even recommend that people make their own hair products or refrigerate Mm. hair products or um, if you get hair products to even consider getting them from the produce section of the supermarket Mm. in terms of fresh ingredients um, like aloe or things like that, avocados and things that can be used in the hair. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's super cool. Um, I know my wife, she makes her own sunscreen. Um, oh, it's wow. just, it's just, it's just yeah. coconut oil and uh and then this they get the zinc oxide powder from the uh from the naturopath which is sort of that active uv protection ingredients and and she uses coconut oil for half of half of her skincare products i think her coconut oil i was curious if just again one more question related to this you mentioned you, you talked about uh, the the 400 years without a comb book and you talked about sort of what what, what are kind of the sort of traditional sort of African, I know African's a broad term, but um, um, sort of tools for hairstyle. And are are they available? Do folks use them now over here? Like, are, 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 are you know, we're, we're, do you use them? <laughs> <laughs> Great question. I would say one of the core tools for African diaspora um, yeah. hair care are carved wooden combs. Mm. Um, so carved wooden combs have been seen as medicinal. Mm. Um, in a lot of West African societies that you had to be initiated into the status of a hairdresser. Mm. And with that, you got special access to these combs. And you could talk to a client and they could share whatever challenge they were experiencing in their lives. Let's say that they were challenged to make money and needed more money that they could actually request their hair to be combed with a special comb that represented wealth and they would say the Mm. person would have money or let's say someone had difficulty conceiving getting pregnant that they would get a special carved wooden comb with a fertility doll on the top of the Mm. comb Um, and these can be found anywhere 
and the person would get their hair combed with this fertility doll comb and the person would end up pregnant. So the, these were some of the, the thoughts about how special combs were. And even when we look at the history of combs, yeah, because everybody's looking at the history of combs, right? Not just me, but <laughs> looking at the history of combs, you can see that um, the, the width of the teeth of the comb varied based on who was in a position of power. So even if we look at the combs from ancient Egypt that when um, more darker skinned or highly coiled and textured hair, people were in positions of power, the teeth of the comb were very wide so that it mm. could get through the hair. But as the positions shifted and um, even you know um, Arabic or European um, rulers came in to ancient Egypt, the teeth of the comb got tighter because mm. the hair texture of whoever was in power determined the types of combs that were used. Mm. So combs are a big part of the, the hair care culture where they were literally art pieces um, that were used or just simple tools that anyone can make and design for their particular hairstyle. So, and these combs are still used today. Oftentimes we think of, of the Afro pick, um, but those yeah. were adaptations or metal adaptations of these carved wooden um, homes. So. Right on, right on. Cool. So much cool stuff. Okay, so uh, I, I, know, I know we talked before before we record that uh, that we, we don't want to go too long and, and I, I have 600 more questions I want to ask, but, I'll, I, but I will ask just, just, just one, one big one. The third secret word is healing. Um, and so I guess just a few weeks ago, you had uh, your first ever, uh, it's called Black and Beauty, Black and Beauty, um, um, I guess, for lack of a better term, was kind of a conference of sorts, um, um, all, all, all sort of about kind of psychotherapy. So can you tell, tell me tell me a bit about that, kind of a bit of the history on it and, and, and kind, of, kind of how the day went? Yes, yes. So in my head in the past, I would have lots of conferences and events and workshops. Yeah. But as we know, the world changed so much due to um, the COVID pandemic. So in 2019, I actually mm. had my um, first international event where I certified hairstylist in the psychotherapy techniques. And it was mm. in Havana, Cuba. Mm. And so I always pictured travel and luxury yeah. in a mansion. We had a chef, all these wonderful things. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I had planned then an event in New Orleans, Louisiana for <clears throat> 20, April of 2020, which clearly got canceled. Yeah. So everything moved to a virtual platform, any workshop or class, and it yeah. doesn't really allow for celebration. Mm. So when I had the opportunity to be funded to have this conference, I wanted to make sure that there were um, mental health professionals, hair care professionals, and even musical artists yeah. that could express the beauty um, of our culture and the beauty of mental health. Mm -hmm. And so I had a harpist who's Grammy nominated. Um, I had hip hop artists, I had R&B singers, um, I had social media influencers, professors like Dr. Evan August, hairstylists and barbers, a range of people coming together and talking about the importance of connecting our beauty mm. to um, our mental health. There's an African proverb that says, uh, health 
good health is the sister of beauty. And mm -hmm. so to recognize that there is a relationship between these concepts that sometimes we don't recognize. And so it was really promoting these connections. So there was food, there was hugs, something that mm -hmm. we hadn't been able to do for a long time. And so I was so happy with the way it came out. Of course, I got teary by how beautiful everything was, roses and all these different things that um, people could really enjoy and savor. People took notes. Mm -hmm. I think there's a request to have an annual one. So I'm working on that. Nice. If anyone wants to fund me for it, I welcome the, <laughs> the funds to be able to continue this uh, ritual to honor these things. Yeah, it sounded awesome. And can you just also tell me a little bit about... Uh, I, I love, I mean, I loved everything you did about, I mean, I, I, I was listening, I was actually listening to, watching a YouTube video of that harpist on the, on, on at the NPR tiny desk video. Yes, um, and uh, she is so good. Um, and uh, I do want to check out um, um, uh, the hip hop artist, uh, start with P, Piff. Yeah, Piff Marti. Oh Piff, my goodness. Piff. Amazing. Yeah. Most of his songs are around mental health. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's, <laughs> that's super cool. I also love that you sort of you were kind of really intentional with the location. Um, can you tell me a little bit about this place called the African Meeting House? It sounds like a pretty awesome spot. Yes. Yeah, so um, the African Meeting House was built in, I think, 1804 in mm. Boston, Massachusetts wow. by abolitionists and um, enslaved African people who were free. Mm. And so a central focus and purpose of this space was to strategize techniques to end slavery in the United wow. States. And so that the energy of that space then was all about liberation. And I wanted to feel that energy. So it's actually a museum. Mm. Um, it has like the original floors that, that mm. were used. So uh, there were certain limitations that we could have related to food and things yeah, like that. Yeah. Um, the sanctuary in particular, but people like Frederick Douglass, who yes. is one of the most famous abolitionist actually found that he was the most photographed person of the 19th century mm. uh, in the United States. And yes. um, even people like, uh, I'm trying to think about, uh, now my brain is gone. David yeah. Walker. David okay, Walker, yeah. David Walker um, wrote David Walker, David Walker's appeal, which was a plea um, to come up with techniques for Black people to <laughs> walk off those plantations, mm. get free. One of the most famous people who read David Walker's appeal was Nat Turner. So we mm. know that Nat Turner was literate and traveled and preached. And so um, they say that his this book was so illegal, David Walker's appeal, that people had to sew it into their coats yeah. to be able to pass it around to different plantations. And so we know that Nat Turner led a slave revolt based on reading the words of someone who would preach um, mm. in this particular African meeting house, which ultimately led to the end of slavery. I know we we associate like Abraham Lincoln and things like sure. that with slavery, but it was actually slave revolts and the fears of, oh, people will fight back um, as one of the methodologies of ending slavery as we knew it in the United States. And so I wanted that place. I wanted yeah. that place. Um, to have that energy of the same exact floors um, and space where where these creative ideas blossomed and bloomed to change uh, the history. It must have just been uh, just uh, for Sony, it must have just been so powerful spiritually to be there. 
It, it was certainly a feeling. It was yeah. a feeling of being in that space. Yeah, yeah. You know, just wrapping up here. This reminds me of so I went. I, I got a, I had a, a lovely opportunity to go to a, a, the second annual or second. I think it was the second annual live. Uh, Black uh, Applied Behavior Analyst Conference uh, this year in June in Detroit. It's the most amazing, most amazing experience I've ever had in my entire life. I, 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 uh, I've I've said it. And I'll say it again. If I ever go to an ABA conference again, it'll only be that one. Um, uh, just <laughs> the the sense of community and this the spirituality mm-hmm. and the power there was just you know unmatched. I, 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 you know, Black folks know how to put on a show. Um, uh, for and 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 then and they do it awesome. Uh, but there was one event that added that I, you know, I, I I was struggling to grasp. Um, but it sounded like a really so it's it, from I, I, the previous year. Apparently, it was sort of the you know standing room only. It was the most the sort of the most powerful event of it all. I was doing interviews at the at, at the at the conference. I just spent the whole week. I didn't go to any presentations. Spent the whole weekend interviewing attendees about their experiences. And uh, so many people told me about their experiences at this particular event um, and just how life-changing it was and how important it was. And it, and it was a behavior analyst named Cammie Williams, and she hosts this thing called The Beauty Shop, um, um, uh, aptly named. And uh, it's essentially, I'll just kind of kind of reading the abstract here, the purpose of this workshop was to provide a safe space uh, for uh, practitioners to discuss our rhythm, blues, and contingency plans to, 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 to using a little bit of ABA language to shape a better experience within the field for all, all for those that walk beside us and for those who are to come after us. This presentation is for all Black practitioners who've experienced internalized and external anti-Blackness in their professional careers and those ready to make changes in the field. And it just every person that walked out of that was just like you know in tears, a changed person. And uh, and I, I get you know, safe space for black folks and all that and, and and just having a place to talk. But I never understood sort of the beauty shop context and how powerful it was uh, mm-hmm. and, and until I was able to talk to you. And uh, and uh, and so I, I see why this is sort of like the, the, the sort of basically the, the central event of this conference. Mm-hmm. Really cool. Yeah, I need to connect with with them yeah i'll put you in touch for sure i i uh, uh with, with some folks there they, they so they do their conference every year um in june um i think they've been centering it around the juneteenth weekend um although i know they got some feedback that a lot of folks wanted to spend time with their family and that was also father's day weekend so that was a big deal yeah. but it's, i think it'll still be around that time it's been in detroit every year but I, I I hear this year it's going to be somewhere different, but I don't think they've announced it yet. But it, it, it's an amazing thing, and um, I, I think you know I, I think Cammy should bring you in to to, to our co-host the beauty shop because I think that'd be super awesome. I'll definitely put you in touch. So what what's uh, so I mean you're just coming coming off the heels of this. You're probably still uh, riding on the wave of uh, of 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 of, uh, of the joy and. An uplifting experience that you had with all these folks. What's 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 the next year looking look looking like for you? I know you've got a bunch of uh, certification dates opened up on your on your website. We'll share all that in the show notes um, show notes for these kind of weekend trainings on. I think they're all virtual trainings on 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 psychotherapy. You know, and um, you know, it's only six hundred bucks for twelve hours of sort of great great training. And it, and it sounds like it's not just for sort of 
you know, folks in, in barbershops and beauty salons. Sounds like you've also got like some beauty influencers in there, social media folks, that kind of stuff. It's probably good for kind of anyone that, um, you know, because in, in general, mental health first aid is something everyone should have. So have it in the context of sort of, you know, uh, you know, a black safe space would just be amazing. So what, what, what what's what's happening? Yeah, like you said, continuing to train. I'm looking to do more collaborations, international yeah. travel. I keep getting invited to Canada, so I think I have to nice. do something out there. Uh, and so just having the opportunity to build community, to strengthen the existing curriculum, to have clinicians um, join the staff to actually offer more therapeutic mm. services. Um, yeah, that that's that's the 2024 plan. Um, to to really branch out and get more connected to communities. Cool, you've got a a great interview on your on on your Instagram. I think you just did a couple of days ago with um, um, another hair another hair person slash social worker social yeah, worker in, um, in Canada. Yeah, named Ruth talking about um, uh, intimate partner violence and and, uh, and that sort of stuff. So I actually I I watched that video and reached out to Ruth and uh, she's coming on the podcast. Oh wow! Um, too. So uh, <laughs> uh, so I'm looking forward to using this. This is a basis for the conversation I kind of have with her. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it just sounds awesome and all the work you're doing is just amazing. And this is really really cool stuff. And I think um, you know I think the sky's the limit for what you can do with this. I I'm I'm kind of curious if um, anyone's done this with uh, tattoo artists because there's another place that folks spend eons in sort of uh, telling all their secrets. Um, so that you need to see this on in sort of other kind of uh, professional contexts where people are kind of spending a lot of time getting intimate with folks. Agreed. Agreed. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Dr. Thea. It was awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed myself. Awesome. Right on. <laughs>